You just heard Kim sing um, that song, What If Trials in This Life Are God's Blessings and Mercies in Disguise? And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And we're almost done with our series entitled, There's an App for That. And one of the things we've been talking about in this series is that God wants to grow our faith really big. God wants to, to pump up our confidence and trust in Him. And He uses a lot of different things to do that. We've looked at a lot of those different things. He uses the Bible. He uses practical teaching. He uses relationships. But the thing we're going to be talking about today is one of those things that you and I would never, ever sign up for. It's one of those things that you and I would never intentionally do. And it's one of those things that, to be honest with you, nobody ever prays, God, give me a difficult circumstance. Give me a difficult a difficulty in my life that's going to pump up my faith. But today, we're going to be looking at exactly that, that many times God uses life. He uses life circumstances to be able to grow our faith and make it big. Um, we, asked, uh, we asked the question right when we started this series, what has grown your faith in the past? And this is what many of you have said. You said this, I had grown up a believer but in the midlife, I let myself be drawn away from church to the point where God was barely in my life at all. And I reached such a low point that I had no place to look except up. Another guy wrote this, the restoration of my marriage after betrayal. Chris said this, that it was my time in Italy. Another person wrote, a situation in my marriage where God continued to show off. Still another wrote, the death of my father where God showed me he is the only one and the ultimate one I should lean on and go for advice. One lady wrote, the time in my marriage survived a great trial. Melissa wrote this, the year after my first child's birth. Another man wrote this, my divorce. The divorce was very difficult but brought me into a deeper relationship with Christ. Total dependence. Rhonda wrote this, adopting my girls from Ethiopia, and he continues to provide situations where the world says it's impossible, but God makes it possible. Michelle said this, having a neurological problem that developed into tics and the stuttering, eventually affecting my speech and my life. Another person wrote this, once I came clean about my addiction to my wife. Now there's a lot of pain in there. There's a lot of difficult circumstances where you have written and said, you know, this is where I am at. This is where I have struggled. But yet God used all of those life circumstances to prove himself to me. That is huge. And that's what we're going to be linked to life. That God creates pivotal life moments in every one of our lives where we have a choice. We're either going to trust him and our faith is going to get bigger or we're going to say, you know what, it's too difficult, it's too, uh, and I'm, I'm going to walk away from God. Now, here's the thing. With life circumstances, God uses both positive and negative. I mean, it's true. I mean, uh, some uh, person wrote this, that, um, and I didn't put this in here, but one lady said, every time I see the birth of a child, you know, I know that God has drawn me closer to him. That's a positive thing. But many of you, you talked about negative things. And there's something about, there's something inversely about that when negative things come into our life 
that many times God uses those negative things to, to kind of refocus his picture in our lives, to refocus our story, to refocus how we view God. We all see people walk through some of the most difficult, awful, terrible circumstances that come out on the other side with a rock-solid, unshakable faith. And for those people, we always, we just kind of, we admire people like that. Because for others, we also see they come through difficult circumstance and it doesn't come out rock-solid. It comes out them walking away, and we're going to talking. We're going to talk a little bit about that tension today. And many times, one of the things we see is anytime you see somebody who has a big faith story, it's always connected to. But here is something that happened in my life. Here is a difficult situation, a difficult circumstance. Somebody got fired. I lost a child. My my marriage did not last. You know, I wish I'd never gone through it. I wish I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but if I had to do it all over, I probably wouldn't change it. Because because of that difficult situation, my faith is bigger and my faith is stronger, and now I realize that God is not just this God up in heaven who's impersonal, but God is very personal to me. Because he has walked with me through a difficult life circumstances negative circumstances usually but he uses both man um i like what c.s lewis has to uh write and and he kind of says this really really good perhaps you've heard this quote this is from the little book the problem of pain and c.s lewis says it like this god whispers to us in our pleasures he speaks in our conscience but he shouts in our pain it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world There's an undeniable relationship between bad life experiences and our faith. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he said it this way. In James chapter 1, starting at verse 2, he says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face what? Trials of many kinds. Now, why should we consider it joy? Because you know, see, there's something to be known here. All right, here's the connecting of, the, connecting of the dots, because you know that the testing of your, what? Faith. Now, what are we talking about here in this series? That God wants to grow our faith. And how God does it, many times, is through trials. And you know what? Here's the thing. Many of us, when we pray, you just keep that verse up there. When we pray, we say, God, you know, do this and do this and do that. We never pray. God, will you just give me a bigger trial? Nobody prays that. Just like if you ever pray for patience, never pray that prayer. All right? Because God will give you a two-year-old. Right? Or give you a man that acts like a two-year-old. I'm just saying. All right? Don't be doing this. All right? But know this, that the testing of your faith is going to develop something. It's going to develop perseverance. And, and, And it's like this. What do you mean, testing of my faith? Yes, the testing of your faith, that there is a connection between your trials, what you're going through, and your faith. The testing of your faith is going to produce something, and what is it going to produce? Perseverance. It produces a a persevering faith. Let perseverance finish its work, I like that, so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
In other words, James says it's not accidental that people face overwhelming circumstances. And it's not accidental that in the middle of those circumstances, something begins to happen with their faith in God. Here's our big idea today. Our big idea is this. God brings trials into our lives to test and to expand our faith. And did you know this? He is more interested in the growth of our faith than our what? Now that stinks. I got to be honest with you. Because all of us, we want comfort. And one of the things we're going to be looking at today, the story where we're going to be landing on, uh, is, is so pivotal that, I'll be honest with you, it's going to tick some of you off. And it should. The story we're going to be looking at today, Jesus does some very intentional things to create some tension that he could have fixed, but he chose not to fix because he wanted to grow some faith. That's huge. Sometimes he brings negative, unexplainable circumstances, the very circumstances that have the potential to turn us away from God. God almost always, if we allow him, he leverages those circumstances, those bad things, to make our faith stronger. And as we're going to be looking in this story today, some of you, you're going to have to create a new category about God. You're going to be struggling with some stuff because some of you, uh, it's going to create this new category in your theology because, and it's going to be a very uncomfortable category, and, and it's probably going to tick you off that Jesus actually created a negative circumstance. I mean, how many times have you ever heard somebody says, well, you know, God is not going to give you more that you can bear? Anybody ever heard that one? All right. That's a crock. Because in this situation, God, Jesus, is literally, he is going to create a negative circumstance. And it's going to make a lot of people mad. But there's a point to it. And that's what we're going to be looking at. John chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to zip through this. We're kind of looking at the entire chapter, so hang on. Buckle up. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters and Mary and Martha. That was his sister's names, Mary and Martha. So a guy named Lazarus was sick. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your, what is those next two words? Dear friend is sick. So let's just go ahead and, and pop the little soap bubble. This is somebody that Jesus knew. Jesus hung out with Lazarus. In fact, he just didn't say, your acquaintance is sick. He didn't say, your friend is sick. He said what? Your dear friend. So this is one of those things. It's one of the close friends of Jesus. I mean, that, I mean they supported him financially. He has eaten in their home. He's probably slept in their home. And this is what it says in verse 3. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Jesus is two, three, maybe four days away if you travel by foot. And they send him a message. Your friend, no, your dear friend is very sick. Now let's ask a quick question. Why did these two, Jesus, uh, two sisters tell Jesus that Lazarus was sick? Was Jesus a doctor, yes or no? No. Why are they telling him this then? Because they knew something about Jesus. 
they believed something about Jesus, that Jesus could heal sickness. They saw Jesus do this. They believed Jesus could do this, that Jesus could do something about Lazarus' sickness. But Jesus had healed many people, some from afar, some people he didn't even know. I mean, that Jesus could step in and Jesus could make this right. That Jesus could come in and go, you're healed and Lazarus is good. So they send a message because they believe something about Jesus. They knew that Jesus could do something about sickness. Now stow that away. Put that feather in your cap because we're going to come back to that. All right, here's the new category for you, verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Jesus creates a category. And the category is this, that some sickness, illness, disease can be for God's glory. To which I say, okay, I really don't like that. I hear, hear me. I don't mind like Tim Tebow when he, you know, does something amazing and he, you know, he, he gives God glory. I, I, I don't mind that, right? Or, or maybe, you know, he gets down on one knee and he goes, you know, it's Jesus. I like that. I would prefer to be a Tim Tebow. Or um, I don't mind uh, giving God glory when you're doing something really cool, really amazing, and somebody says, hey, hey, you're doing a great job, and you go, no, no, it ain't me, it's God, it's Jesus. That's cool. I can live with that. The thing I don't like is that sometimes, or I say many times, God uses sickness and disease and sometimes even death, that God uses negative circumstances in your life, and God says, you know what, I'm going to allow that, and I'm going to leverage that bad situation for my glory. Verse 4, know what happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Just kind of, again, log that away. Verse 5, so although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, let's just stop right there. This is not just somebody he just kind of casually knew. These are people that he knew their names. It, it isn't just a family he just met one day. This is, just isn't an average relationship. He knew their names. He knew where they lived. He had been in their home. They had supported him. And just in case you miss, missed it, there is a special relationship between Jesus in this family. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he, he stayed where he was at for the next two days. Why did Jesus wait? Why, why didn't Jesus just act immediately and run in and rescue the situation? I mean, he did exactly what we expected Jesus not to do with this family. Jesus, a quick question, did Jesus love Lazarus? Yes. He is capable of healing? Yes. But he doesn't do anything about it. So why does he wait? Does that not seem wrong to anybody else? That sometimes, anybody, anybody in here tracking with me, that you've prayed a prayer, God, intervene. God, heal her. Heal him. Help my father. Help my son. Lord, bring him back. 
Lord, give me a raise. And you're praying to God, and it's like God isn't listening. Anybody felt that way? Good. So I'm not alone. And you need to know that Mary and Martha are sending a message to Jesus, and Jesus says, you know what? That's good. Let's just stay here a couple more days. Hey, can you pass the chicken? I mean, he stays there for two more days. And many times we pray and we ask God, God, are you really listening? And we seem like there's just nothing but inactivity. And what we're going to see is that Martha watches her brother die. And Mary watches Lazarus take his last breath. All the while, they're waiting on the horizon. Is Jesus going to come? You know, I know if Jesus comes, he can do something about this. Is Jesus going to come? And everybody's asking, hey, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus, Martha? Mary, where's Jesus? Didn't you send word? Yeah, I know we sent word. But where's he at? I thought he loved you guys. Where's he at? And they're left tons of questions. Verse 7. Finally, he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Let's go back to where Lazarus and Mary and Martha are at. And then he says in verse 11, then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I'll go and wake him up. To to which his disciples, the guys hanging out with Jesus, are going, okay, that's good. He's fallen asleep. His fever is broke. He's going to be good, right? Verse 12. In fact, that's what he says. The disciple says, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. Good, right? Verses 13 and 14. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Huh? Lazarus is dead? You you know he died, Jesus? Why didn't we go earlier? I mean, you knew he was dying. So now there's all this confusion. There's all this drama. And they're asking the question, wait a minute. The one that you love, Lazarus, you love him, and yet you let him die? I mean, they've done everything they could for us, and you knew he was sick. And as soon as you found out he was sick, you just decided to sit back down and wait for two more days. And now you know that he's dead? What in the world are you thinking, Jesus? Look at verse 15, and Jesus says, And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. To which they want to go, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. What about for Lazarus' sake? What about for Mary's sake? What about for Martha's sake? I mean, this is huge. Just keep that verse up there. Jesus looks at his 12 disciples, whom he's going to get ready to hand off this entire organization here in a couple of, just a couple of weeks. And and they're kind of always scared, they're kind of timid, and he looks at them and he says, you know what? I'm glad I wasn't there because of you. Because something's going to happen in you, and I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really, what is that next word? That's what we're talking about. You see, many times, not only does Jesus allow circumstances to happen so that we will really believe, in this instance, he actually created a negative circumstance and allowed it to happen when he had total control to do something about it and he didn't. 
Why? So that you will really believe. And then he says, come, let's go see him. I mean, Jesus said, I'm so glad we weren't there because I have something so big and so major and so overreaching and overarching I want you to learn and I'm willing for the one whom I love to die so that you will learn it. Now, Jesus is going to give the reason and he says, I want you to know so that you will believe. There's something about, about believing in pain and heartache and death and suffering. And Jesus, you're telling me that belief is more important than being healed? Yeah. You mean you're telling me that you are willing to allow bad things to happen and people whom you have a close relationship with to go through difficult circumstances so that their faith will grow? Yeah, I am. I mean, that's huge. And some of you are here today, and you kind of bounced out of Christianity. You're kind of on the fringes checking us out, checking out the Bible. And here's what many of you have said. You said this, you know what? I cannot believe in a God who will fill in the blank. I cannot believe in a God that would fill in the blank, allow bad things to happen, allow this and cause children and all this. And, but here's what you need to know something. If you would not believe in a God who would allow and all of that, then you really don't believe in the God of the Bible. And you definitely don't believe in Jesus. Because here we see Jesus allow something like that. Because there's something that he wants to show them that's bigger than their comfort. Something that's bigger. And this is in total opposition to everything we want to believe about God, but it's in the Bible. That's what it says in John eleven fifteen. Come, let's go see him. In verse 21, Martha. I mean, Jesus is coming. He's on the outskirts of Bethany, and Martha comes running up. And she says what many of us have said to God, even if you're not a Christian or maybe you are, this is what Martha says. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, this is your fault. Jesus, I've seen you heal strangers. I've seen you heal people that weren't even in your presence. You, I've seen you heal people that were undeserving. I even heard that you healed a Roman centurion. I mean, these people are our enemies. And you're willing to do for an enemy what you're not willing to do for a dear friend that you love? I mean, I thought we had a relationship here, Jesus. I thought you loved us because we definitely loved you. Yet you wouldn't come and even heal your friend. If you would have been here, my brother would still be here. He wouldn't have died. I thought you were our friends. Verse 22. So amazing. Listen, listen to what she says. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I, I know, I know. And that's the same word for believe, for trust. So amazing. She's standing in front of a person whom she doesn't quite know what to know about Jesus. He's a man, yes, but he's claimed to be more. And when he talks to God, I mean, is he really God? Is he not? Because if he is God, he seems like he talks to God. So who is he talking to? 
I don't quite understand it. It's not working out in my theology, in my system, in my head. So, but we know something about you, Jesus, that what you ask for, God does. That you have a connection to God that we don't have. And if you would just ask even now, that God will give you whatever. That's huge. Jesus said this in verse 23. Your brother will rise again. And Martha's like, yeah, you know, I've heard this. You know, I've heard preachers say this. They get up and they say, you know, it's going to happen and there's going to be heaven and we're going to get up there and we're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Noah and some of these folks that we read about, I don't even know if they made it in the Bible ever so jacked up. I I know we're going to see them one day. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Verse 24, uh, Martha says this, Yes, he will rise with everybody else, even on that last day. But here's what Jesus said in verse 25. And by the way, if you're a person that just thinks that Jesus is just a good teacher, good teachers don't say this. This is what Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying, you're right that God would give me whatever I ask, but it's bigger than that, Martha. You're right that I'm a teacher who comes from God, but it's bigger than that. You're right that I'm a miracle worker, and I could have saved your brother, but it's bigger than that. It's so big and so important that everything that I'm about, that even 2,000 years from now, people are going to be talking about this situation because I'm just more than a good teacher. And I'm just more than a really good faith healer. I am the resurrection and the life. I am God. Look at this, what it says. I mean, you don't make a statement like that without backing it up. And this is what Jesus says in verses 25. Everyone who lives in me, and what is that next word? Believes. Again, what is he wanting from us? Belief. Believes in me will never die. Do you, what is it? Believe this, Martha. I mean, do you believe this? He's asking that same question to you and I today. Do you believe this? See, this whole thing is about Mary and Martha. Wood, and I, I want you to just more than just think that I can heal somebody. I, I, I want more than that. I want your faith to grow. I want your belief in me to get bigger. I want your confidence in me to know that I'm just bigger than a teacher. I'm just bigger than a healer. I literally am life. Do you believe this? And she says this, yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And Jesus, with tears in her eyes, yes, I believe that even though you let my brother die, I believe that even though you didn't come, I believe that even though you could have answered me, you could have answered this prayer, you didn't. I believe that in spite of all of this, I still believe in you. I mean, that is amazing. Jesus asked to be taken to the grave. And what, in fact, the grave, I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of what we call a rolling stone tomb. All right? And uh, what happened is Jesus asked to be taken to the grave, and what they do is they put this stone in front of the tomb. And we're going to find out that Lazarus has already been dead four days. 
So he goes to the tomb and he asks everybody, hey, listen, roll the stone away from the grave. And what's so interesting about this? Look what it says in verse 35. Once he gets there, he gets to the tomb, and here's the shortest verse in the Bible. If y'all would like to memorize a verse, here it is. John eleven thirty-five. Jesus what? That's it. Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see? See how much he loved him? I mean, this verse is so amazing because instead of like, you know, saying, all right, let's get to this miracle. Let's do this. He pauses and he weeps. He pauses and he chooses to feel exactly what Mary and Martha felt. Exactly what you have felt as you've stood by the grave of somebody. Exactly what you felt when God didn't come through for you. Exactly what you felt when your kids didn't turn out the way you wanted them to turn out. When your situation didn't turn out the way they wanted. When you prayed, God, let me keep the job, and you got fired. Jesus chooses to feel exactly what you feel. And he stops, and I think he does that so he can say, you know what, I know exactly what you feel, and I'm going to mourn with you. I know. But he says, I want you to roll the stone away from the tomb. And what's amazing, the King James Version, uh, which I usually don't read from because it has a lot of these and thous. In this, it says, the King James Version, it says this. Um, somebody comes up to Jesus after he says, roll the stone away. And somebody says, don't, Lord, don't you know that he will stinketh? Don't you love that? Wouldn't you love to be able to take any word and put an F at the end and you sound so pious and amazing, right? Don't you know that he will stinketh, right? And Jesus is like, I know, I know. I mean, it's just, it's interesting. So and Jesus, he leans in and he says, Lazarus, come out. What happens? You know, it's just, what happens there? You kind of, there's pause and there's silence. Many of you, you know what happens. You know the story. But just try to put yourself in the shoes of those people there. Now, quick question before we end this. Let's go back to that original question. Did Mary and Martha believe that Jesus could heal? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha? Yes. Now, another question. Don't answer this one yet. If those are true, that are yes, and I agree with that, do you think that Mary and Martha knew that Jesus could raise somebody from the dead? Because I, I don't know if I could say yes to that. They knew he could heal. They knew he was a, a great teacher and a great healer. But they didn't know. I don't, I don't think they quite knew Jesus could bring somebody back from the dead. But Jesus stands in front of that tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. Let me tell you another thing, why that's so important. Uh, throw that other picture up there if you wouldn't mind. Um, inside these tombs, they're kind of like bunk beds. All right, You would place, you know, Lazarus would be in one and another person would be in one and they kind of put all of these people in there. If Jesus would have just said, come out, do you know what would be happening? You would have family reunion, right? 
I mean, everybody, you'd have to get the fried chicken, and, you know, and you're going to have all kinds of people that, you know, your Uncle Bill that you probably didn't like or whatever. I mean, you're going to have all these people showing up. That's the reason why Jesus had to say specifically, Lazarus, come out, because Jesus is that powerful. And I, I love how we're going to end this. The last verse, it says this. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. That's where we're going to end it because just leave this verse up here. What was the whole point behind all of this? What was the point? The point is that word right there, believed. You see, God not only leverages tough and difficult situations for you and I, in this situation, he created a difficult situation so that Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and many of the other people there would believe in Jesus. You know, some of you are here today and you've been hanging out, you you may have been on the fringes for a long, long time. And you struggle with this whole situation with God and some of the difficult things that we've talked about even today. You know, how could God do this and how could he allow that? My prayer is through all of this, that you and I would not be happy when bad situations come our way but that we would consider it joy knowing that when a difficult situation comes our way, God wants to grow your faith. God wants to grow my faith. You know, um, the, the most painful thing that has ever happened to me in my, in my life happened um, about seven years ago in 2005. I was pastoring a church in the Midwest um, and my wife and I and our two sons had been there for five years. And uh, we saw the handwriting on the wall because up to this point, we've had nothing but great circumstances at churches. Wonderful, I mean, every church we've ever left, they've, you know, they invited us back, they've loved on us, it's been a great experience. But this one church was a family-run church. And sometimes families can be mean. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And this one church that I was at, I mean, they just, and it was just, it was a struggle. And the church grew, grew, and grew, and you had a lot of people coming to faith. And in 2005, our last year there, we baptized 136 people. It was amazing. That also, my last year there, I got fired. And through that entire year before that happened, I had prayed, God, please get me out of this stinky place. In fact, I'll tell you, it was in Iowa. If you're from Iowa, I love you. It was a difficult time for my family and I. And you know what? God didn't come through for me. This fantastic, wonderful church gave me an 11-day severance package. It was fantastic. And uh, I remember my oldest son, Walt, who was five, six years old at the time, said, Dad, are we going to go back to church tonight? Um, they did this Wednesday night thing, and I said, I'm sorry, we can't go. And he starts crying. He says, why, why aren't we going to church? He says, well, they don't like your dead there anymore. 
And that was, I mean, I did that through tears. And I'm not perfect, you know, but I didn't do anything that warranted me being let go. And I, and I was angry at God. God, I'd prayed and I'd prayed and I'd prayed and I'd prayed for you to change hearts. Either change their heart, change my heart, or move me on. I didn't know he was going to do the latter. And, I, and I, I really became bitter against God and the church. And we moved back here. And we started a church for people who were bitter against God and the church. Because that's what I was. Right? But looking back over that now, because some time has elapsed, I know that there's reasons behind all of this and that God just didn't want my comfort. He wanted my faith to grow. And I'll be honest with you, do I ever want to go through that again? Absolutely not. But I'm so thankful I did. Because God used that one stinky, really bad, awful season in my life where I felt like I was in a fog after it all happened. God used it to pump up my faith. And God wants to use difficult, awful, bad, no good days in your life. Not because he hates you. Not because he has a vendetta against you. But because God wants this little thing inside of us called faith and belief. Grow. Hard, difficult, but that is one of the apps that he uses to grow our faith. Pray. Dear God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your love, and I, pr- I pray right now, God, just, um, Lord, I know that I am talking to a room of people who some are struggling, that some with tears in their eyes, their faith is being rocked and their belief in you of how they viewed you is being changed. God, I know you never ever waste circumstance. A life, pivotal life moment to be able to grow faith. And Lord, I pray that you would do that. Lord, that this difficult situation would not drive a wedge between you and them, God. But Lord, that this difficult life situation would be the glue that binds you together even still. God, I'm reminded of book that I once read by Philip Yancey God, about disappointment with God. I know that there's some people here that are disappointed with you, God, that thought you were going to do something, but you actually didn't. And Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, that even, even though many of us were disappointed with you, the most terrible thing, even more worse than that, is being disappointed without God. And Lord, for those people in here who need to put their faith and trust in you, Jesus Christ, so that they can believe, Lord, that's what you call us to do. That's what you ask. And I pray that they would be able to do that even today.
those who would believe in you will not perish, but have everlasting life because you truly are the resurrection and the life. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.